um, today we're going to talk about the rapidly changing landscape regarding remote document review, signing, witnessing, and notarization. Um, we have a PowerPoint that I put together here I'm going to share. And um, bear with me because this is the first time that I'm doing this quite this way, at least in a long time. Um, before I get started with the particular pieces of this, um, I wanted to share how I started focusing on this over the past week, which feels like a year to me, as I'm sure it does to everyone else out there. It was on March uh, 12th that I shut down my office in Hingham on the South Shore. I sent all my employees home with their laptops and said, that's it, we're done. And before the schools had closed or anything else, I decided that um, we weren't going to be coming back into the office if we didn't need to be. So we were going to move to working remotely entirely. The trouble was that we had clients who were already scheduled to sign their estate planning documents, some of whom were in very high risk categories, medical professionals, healthcare workers, home health care aides, um, elderly residents. And so we were trying to scramble and figure out how we could help them get their documents in place without putting them or us at risk being physically in the same place at the same time. So I started working on a process and a procedure for actually doing it, knowing full well that that wasn't really what we were supposed to be doing. And meanwhile, I started to hear about um, efforts in the community through colleagues to try to work on a governor's executive order, and then that morphed into legislation. So we've been paying really careful attention to all of this over the past week, and it's happening so quickly. We'll try to keep up. As of right this moment, my understanding is that the legislation here in Massachusetts that's proposed is still pending, and maybe we'll find out during the course of this presentation or right after whether anything happens. Um, so in terms of um, what we're looking at, I just wanna clarify right off the bat that because I am concentrated on estate planning in my practice very heavily, um, I, I focused this presentation in that respect also because I was most concerned with helping people that don't already have their health care directives, their powers of attorney, their wills and trusts in place, get those now. They need them now. They don't need them weeks from now. Um, I guess I was thinking that the probate matters that are pending, although inconvenient, they are somewhat less urgent. I do have clients that are sitting on checks that can't deposit them while they're waiting for letters of authority. Um, we have deeds that we need to sign and record, but in my view, those were less urgent than the planning side. So that's why the focus is heavy there. Um, I'm also cognizant of the fact that the, the focus of this presentation is, is almost twofold. We are clearly most concerned with trying to get an immediate fix, an immediate solution to the problem of getting documents uh, executed and notarized right now, but I think that also we're going to find that all of the things that we're doing to be working from home and trying to monitor um, the way that we're working on this, these will have long-lasting consequences. And I think that the current crisis is really showing us where some of the um, steps in our existing process could use improvement, and we have some ideas about what that might look like going forward. So um, 
the way that we, I've laid this out, um, the flow of this presentation is focusing on how things are currently under Massachusetts law. And you see there on the screen, hopefully, the um, citations to the pieces of the law that are most relevant for that purpose. Then we'll talk about what we might do differently instead. And if you'll indulge me to just kind of open your mind and think it through about what it might look like. I know it's not possible now, but what if? And then we'll look at what the current legislation that's proposed looks like. And um, the last update that I saw on that was at 9.30 this morning. So Jennifer will interrupt and let us know if she happens to see anything while we're talking here. Nothing so far. <laughs> so um, in terms of the execution of wills, this is really one of our biggest hangups. Um, we know that the will has to be in writing. It has to be signed by the testator or at his or her direction, and there need to be two witnesses there who are disinterested witnesses. Um, but it also says in the statute that that document can be established um, as testamentary intent later by extrinsic evidence. And so this isn't really new for us either. If we think about it, we have to do this when we have a case where there's a missing will or there's um, a will that's not signed and we can't find it. That's exactly what we're doing is we're trying to use all of that extrinsic evidence to show the intent and show that this was the testator's true intention. The writing, I was laughing when I was thinking about this, remembering how when I first started out um, a decade or so ago doing probate, I read the letter of the law and the um, procedures that were recommended and really believed that I needed to be printing and submitting things on actual parchment paper. So um, the law doesn't actually specify what type of uh, writing is required in terms of what medium it needs to be on. It doesn't say that it needs to be parchment paper or you know, printer paper or an electronic document, a PDF. That could be a writing certainly as well. Um, in terms of what it means to have it signed, we've always allowed any kind of a signature. There's no prescription for whether we need to include our middle initial or not. I know some of my colleagues are a little bit more um, concerned about being very precise with that. But if somebody wants to put an X or use another symbol, if their signature is beautiful and we should frame it, or if it is barely legible, we just allow people to sign the way that they're going to sign. And if they can't, they can tell somebody else to do it for them. If we have defects in the formal execution, if they're not perfect, if we try really hard to do it as best as we possibly can, um, we can apply the doctrine of harmless error if not doing that would cause substantial harm and not give effect to the testator's true intent. Here in Massachusetts, the standard is, um, the, the evidentiary burden um, for a standard of proof is preponderance of the evidence. I know that some other states use a clear and convincing standard, and although I always thought of that as more of a criminal standard, um, I think that as long as we're following all of these safeguards and procedural safeguards that we're contemplating through these processes, we could probably meet the clear and convincing standard of proof also if we had to. So this I shared here, I love, this is from Wisconsin's Chief Legal Counsel um, in this emergency guidance that they issued um, on March 18th. And I feel like this summarizes exactly what we're talking about here. Courts generally try to interpret laws so that the laws themselves on their face don't lead to absurd results. 
And that seems like what we're trying to avoid. In the middle of this global pandemic, in the middle of sheltering in place and quarantining at home, it would be absurd to require witnesses and notaries to be in the physical presence of the person who is signing these documents. Um, absurd and dangerous. There have been a couple of different approaches to how to deal with this. All of the states are scrambling. Um, so Connecticut, Iowa, New Hampshire, and New York, at least there may be others that I'm just not aware of yet, have issued executive orders through their governors. Um, they're very in terms of their scope and the specific procedures that are required, but they've taken the approach of proceeding through executive orders from the governor. There are a couple of other states that have issued um, Supreme Court orders, uh, and we'll look at those. And then, of course, we're waiting to find out what happens here in Massachusetts. And um, I think there is one other state in here, uh, Ohio, maybe, that is proceeding that way as well. So taking a look, just to refresh our memories about what the law says now, to have a self-proved will it may be simultaneously executed um, by having the two disinterested witnesses and the notary there all at the same time, or we can do it afterwards, taking an acknowledgement after the fact where they sign it and then later they affirm to us that yes, that is their signature and they did that. So that's one thing that I know some of our colleagues have been doing in the interim is using that authority to get things signed now and plan to um, take an acknowledgement later. Um, this obviously is the, the key sticking point for us currently to be physically present um, at the time of notarization. So we can talk about what that means and if we interpret presence to mean actual physical presence face to face um, with all our germs, then we're in trouble. But if we interpret that to mean conscious presence, then if we uh, apply that concept to current technology and what we're able to do, it seems a little bit more flexible. Um, we can be in the conscious presence of one another as we could be right now, if I could see all of you instead of you just seeing me. Um, we could see each other and hear each other in real time and communicate in real time almost as if we were sitting in the same room together. Um, under the current law, uh, in, in the Massachusetts notary law, it's very clear that the notary public um, shouldn't be notarizing any documents if there's any concern about whether the principal understands what's going on. So I think one of the big concerns is with regard to um, undue influence or uh, some type of fraud or duress. And so it's up to the notary in all cases, not just in the case of video conferencing, to determine that the principal does in fact understand what's going on, has capacity, and wants to be signing whatever the document is that we want the signer to sign. Um, otherwise, we should not be notarizing anything ever. Um, another thing that's uh, interesting is that the person shouldn't be related to or named in any of the documents. That's not new and that's okay. Um, the trouble is that if we notarize something that does not comply with the, in the physical presence of, it's possibly a criminal violation of the statute. Um, it is a discretionary thing. It's up to the, the attorney general and district attorneys to decide whether or not to prosecute, but clearly that is a 
big deterrent. Um, most lawyers really do want to be good people who follow the letter of the law and do right by their clients and not get in trouble. But desperate times are kind of calling for desperate measures right now. So um, if any of you out there are fans of that old movie Clue with the alternate endings, that's what I'm playing on here. Um, this is a picture of my conference room in my office that I'm missing. It's my happy place where it's nice and peaceful and quiet and there aren't kids running around. Um, but the uh, general situation that we have when we're signing, witnessing, and, and executing documents according to all these formalities, we have one or two clients present. We have the two disinterested witnesses who almost always are two of my employees, and then myself as the notary public. So that, of course, is four or five people sitting in very close proximity to one another, passing paper, sharing pens, and so forth. And we all know that's not a good idea at this point in time. So people have been getting really creative. Um, I've heard colleagues talking about just limiting signings to once a week and thinking that they can sanitize and wipe everything down in the interim. Um, I tried that myself before I decided to close my office and I regret it. I wish that I had closed down sooner. I'm not feeling well myself and haven't been. I'm probably fighting this thing off and um, probably one of my employees or more of them as well. So for those of you thinking that you can still do this just once a week, we sanitized everything and I wouldn't recommend it. Um, then I know there are creative options including drive-by signings or French front porch signings where people are passing the papers through um, uh, you know, a, a small little opening in the car window to the clients and either having the witnesses standing on the sidewalk or sitting in another car observing. I've heard some people talk about putting the executed documents into a basket that they then leave sitting there for days, hoping that these germs, this virus is no longer on the paper um, or some, some of my colleagues have said that they're opening the trunk of their car and having the people put it directly into the trunk so that they're not touching it. Um, anyway, crazy circumstances as we all know, but these are the absurd results we're trying to avoid by complying with the strict letter of this law. So um, another thing that was coming to mind, somewhat related, we keep talking about force majeure in our um, engagement agreements in our contracts, in our small business client contracts, in our own lease agreements and everything else that we're dealing with, um, whether we're talking about impossibility or commercial impracticality or frustration of purpose, it seems like even though those aren't directly related to what we're talking about here, the, the concepts all would seem to apply, the, the end result being we have an absurd result based on the current law. Some of my colleagues have suggested that it's not actually necessary to notarize some of these documents, that if what we're going to end up with is a question of an evidentiary burden of proof, and the point of notarizing is to make a will, for example, self-proving, then maybe we just don't notarize the will right now. Maybe we have our clients sign them and witness them, and we just wait and notarize them later if we're able, and if not, we're right back where we started with trying to prove by maybe a preponderance of the evidence that yes, this was the testamentary intent of our client at that time. Another thing that we've been talking about amongst ourselves, of course, is whether we are essential services 
um, without whom our clients would suffer significant prejudice. And most of us are, I think at this point, working out of our homes. Um, it only looks like I'm in my office. I'm in a home office right now. But our, our clients, particularly on the planning side, they need us right now. They need these documents in place. So we just have to get creative about how we get it done for them. So in terms of what it might look like, um, I know the law is really slow to change and we get nervous when things change too fast for us. But what if we did it this way? Um, if instead of having us physically present around a conference table, we have our one or our two clients plus our disinterested witnesses, plus the notary, all appearing together virtually through a video conference platform like the one that we're using right now, but where we're all sharing our video and our audio, we can all see and hear each other so that we're practicing this, um, I prefer healthy spacing. I saw that somewhere, I like that a lot better than social distancing. Um, but we can all be safe and protect one another and protect everybody around us, not just us and our clients, but our families and our broader community as well. Um, oh, there it is. Jen, I told you I thought there was a slide missing. I found it. <laughs> so um, what I was thinking when I was trying to come up with a process, how could we actually do this? I had these goals in mind. Number one, as I said, help our clients. We all want to do that. I think that's a universal concern. We want to help our clients get their documents signed, witnessed, and notarized as quickly as possible and as conveniently and easily as possible under these extraordinary circumstances. We want to protect all of our neighbors, all of our community, and slow the spread of this disease and try to make things better for all of us all around. And we want to remove as many of the barriers and obstacles to doing this as possible so that it's not absurd, not just for us, but also for our clients who are having the same anxieties that we are, but maybe heightened by the fact that they realize they don't have their documents in place yet. We also, of course, want to try and come as close as possible to the strict letter of the law so that we are safeguarding our client's best interests. That's why those formalities exist. And so we don't want to just cast them aside. We just want to re-envision them. And then finally, and um, I think it's important to recognize this as a concern as well, we small business owners who have law firms, um, that is our business, we still have to be able to earn income and pay our overhead and pay our employees salaries and provide their health insurance and pay our vendors and um, our landlords and all of that. And if we're not able to do this work in what seems like it's likely to be at least a month, maybe a couple of months, who knows, um, that's really going to cause financial hardship to us and the ripple effect of that spreads out into our communities as well. So the specific steps that I envisioned and worked together with my team, um, we thought this through, we kind of brainstormed it, then we practiced it and we practiced it some more and we got it pretty good. It actually worked really well. Um, number one, we want to make sure in the, in the process that we envision that the notary public is in fact the principal's own duly licensed attorney um, here in Massachusetts. So by doing that, what we're trying to accomplish is making sure that the attorney has the best interests of that client in mind. We're not talking about a notary service that is disinterested coming from another state. We're not talking about online will software programs or anything like that. We're talking about maintaining the same intimacy of the relationship, the professional relationship that exists 
between the attorney and the client. I think this is one of those areas in particular where the real estate bar and the estate planning bar maybe differ a bit um, and even probate to some extent. On the planning side of things, I know in my practice, I spend hours getting to know my clients in initial meetings. Um, we really get very well acquainted. We learn about one another and I'm, in, I'm assuring myself that I understand them, what's important to them, and that whatever I'm going to put in place for them is what they really want. So um, their, their best interests are always at the forefront of my mind. The second thing that's important in the process that we created was to make sure that we were all meeting at the same time, virtually by web conference, ensuring that we had the live, real-time, two-way audio or multi-way audio and visual capabilities. And I know that there are concerns about um, accessing technology, and it might sound like it's more complex than it needs to be, but it's not necessary to have a desktop computer and download software to be able to do it. It's absolutely possible to do this on any type of a smartphone, tablet, or computer. It's not necessary to purchase or download any software. You just need a link and an internet connection. And so even for people for whom that's more challenging, it still is better than the current situation. Um, we always talk in our house, uh, my children's grandparents live far away and so we're not able to get together with them physically except for a couple of times a year, but we FaceTime regularly and whenever we're celebrating a birthday or opening presents or anything like that around here, we put them on FaceTime and we have them sitting and it's like they're with us in the same room at the same time. They're part of the celebration with us and so that's what I envision this looking like. The third thing, um, the third step in this process is to make sure, at least unless there is a law passed or an executive order issued, that we are being very clear and fully disclosing to our client all of the ways in which what we're doing does not comply with the strict letter of the law. It's an improper execution. Um, and as a result of that, there are concerns that possibly the documents might not be honored or respected the same way. And so we have to agree that as soon as practically possible and safe to do so, we'll get together again in person the way that we had originally intended and envisioned when they hired us, or if they hire us now, they, they probably prefer um, to be able to get together in person and revisit all of the documents and re-execute them. Maybe it's just necessary to do an acknowledgement after the fact, but I think personally, I would feel more comfortable just re-executing re everything at that point in time. And then, of course, because we're lawyers, asking the client to acknowledge the risk, agree to proceed, assuming the risk of that, um, it's better than nothing. It's better than the nothing that they currently have in place or the outdated documents that they want to replace. And then waiving liability, you know, just in case. When we were first thinking through this process, I thought that we would do a screen recording and record the entire process of swearing in and signing all of the documents, um, either using the web meeting software, like Zoom has that capability and most of the others do as well, or a separate screen recording program, which um, is common technology for people that do a lot of online web-based classes. Um, I thought we would save that recording and keep that as further extrinsic evidence if need be to show intent, to show that we did everything as closely as possible as we could to the way that we would around a conference room in the office together. 
The more I thought about the recording requirement, the more that I thought that was placing a heavy burden on us as the attorneys to keep up with the technology. For example, I know when I started um, giving my clients electronic copies of their documents, I was giving that to them on CDs. And you can't even find a CD reader in most computers these days. We've moved um, first to USB drives and now to electronic storage in a secure client vault in the cloud. So as technology continues to advance rapidly, I don't necessarily want to be responsible for remembering which files have that old technology and going and converting them to a technology that will keep up over time. It seems unnecessary also because we don't record signings typically when we're in my office. The purpose of having the witnesses and of having the notary certification is exactly that, to show that we did everything we were supposed to do and that's the affirmation that we need. We shouldn't need to also record that. So the fourth step then would be to confirm, of course, identity. In the case where it's a client that we've already known and met with, again, face-to-face -face for hours in person, we've gone back and forth on the phone and via email over weeks, we've confirmed all of the intent, um, I'm satisfied that I know who this person is, um, then maybe my knowledge of identity is sufficient, but we thought just for good measure, we'll also have our client hold up a copy of a government-issued photo identification. We typically have the client show us a government-issued photo identification at the signing table, and we record it in a notary book, even though as a lawyer, I don't need to do that. I've always done it anyway, um, so why not do that? And so the way that we did that here was by screenshot. Um, and then finally, the, the type of software program that we're using to communicate, I think that it's not necessary to prescribe a specific type of software program that we need to use, um, but to make sure that it is one that is secured. And in the case of the one that I'm using, it's something that's specifically approved and recommended by the Massachusetts Bar Association. So I feel pretty com comfortable that it was designed by lawyers, for lawyers, and is recommended by the Mass Bar, that ought to be a good enough platform to use for this type of um, file sharing and communication. And then finally, um, the most important piece perhaps is um, the actual witnessing and notarization. And, and let me just uh, back up for one quick second to say that the way that I share the documents with the clients when we tested this was to do a screen share exactly the way that I'm doing with you right now, but instead of having a PowerPoint presentation, I had the client's actual documents. And so I was scrolling through the documents the same way that I would typically be flipping physical pages and turning them um, at the table sitting next to my client. So they're real time seeing the documents, they're confirming to me that it is what they intended, that the contents are truthful and accurate to the best of their knowledge and belief, that the dates of birth and the spellings of names and everything else are as they want and that it reflects their true wishes. So once we've reviewed everything, then um, all at the same time, we can turn it around once we've shared the documents and make the client the presenter for the purposes of the web conference. So we could do that here. I could turn this over and make somebody else the presenter. And then I could see your screen instead of you just seeing my screen. And so by watching you on your screen, I could watch you click through the link of the document that I shared, open it up and find the signature fields and sign. 
And here I'm talking about an electronic or e-signature. And um, I realize that that's not the process that's contemplated. I know that it's not technically allowed right now under the law, or it's not allowed under the law. Um, it's a specific exception to the e-sign law that we have in Massachusetts. But um, it certainly is the least absurd result for getting things done under the circumstances, in my opinion. Um, so by sharing the screen, we can watch and confirm the intent of the signer to be placing her or his mark on that document at that time. Then after the client signs and confirms intent to be doing it while we're watching real time and the witnesses are watching real time, then the document goes electronically immediately to my witnesses, one and then the other. So again, the witnesses in this case are my employees. They're sitting in their homes in other towns um, around the South Shore. And they open up the document one at a time. They can screen share. We can watch the witnesses sign electronically that way. It goes from one to the next. Once they have all fully executed the document, then it comes to me in my email inbox. And I can download the document. And what I did was print out the notary page, which sometimes was on the same page as the client's signature, sometimes with the witnesses, or sometimes just its own page. And then I signed it by hand and I stamped it and sealed it with my notary stamp and seal the same way at the same time. After that, I was able to um, scan the document and upload it to the client file where my paralegal was able to, again, real time while we're still on the video conference all together, assemble it into the completed document package and then securely upload that through our practice management system um, to the client's uh, secure portal so that the client had immediate access to those critically important medical documents, um, HIPAA authorizations, healthcare proxies, powers of attorneys, and things that they might need a whole lot sooner than we'll be able to physically print everything out, get into our office, assemble it, and either hand deliver it or ship it to the client. So um, I always remember back to my torts professor in law school who talked about the parade of horribles. Um, and so I realized there's a whole parade of horribles and all these things that we're all concerned about happening here. And I want to address those. Um, concerns about fraud and exploitation, particularly of elderly clients, undue influence, duress. Um, these are all of the types of concerns that we had in mind and when we were talking about how important it was to make sure that it was the client's own attorney that was um, handling this entire process, that we weren't retaining an outside notary service in another state with somebody who the client has never met. We are not talking about having um, a mortgage lender come in. I understand that the real estate bar has more concerns about this particular piece of it, perhaps than, than estate planners do for these reasons. But if we're confident that there is no fraud or exploitation or undue duress, um, undue influence or duress, if we've already established all of that over the course of weeks or, or multiple communications with the clients, then that seems like it's less of a concern. Um, I know that there's a lot of talk about not being able to see who else is there. Um, the same way I'm using this virtual background behind me right now, I sent my children outside for outdoor recess while we're on this um, chat together. 
you can't really see who else is here, but I feel like that's um, a similar concern. If a client is driven to my office by someone that I don't see who's sitting outside in a car waiting, um, or if the client comes in and we're in the conference room and the person that drove my client there is sitting in another room in the office where there's um, a window access, then I can't really see if they're giving dirty looks or if they're threatening on the way over there either. So, you know, we do the best that we can as attorneys and as notaries to, conf to um, confirm intent and make sure that we feel really comfortable that this is exactly what the signer wants to be doing. Um, there's also talk about whether an electronic type signature is as good as if you used your finger, like when you sign on a square um, device at an ice cream shop or something, um, or if using a stylus um, might come closer to having it be like your real signature. I know I can't seem to wield a stylus well, and if I upload a copy of my signature that I've hand signed and uploaded as a JPEG, um, as an image, or if I just choose a font that looks most similar to the way that my actual signature looks, it ends up coming out better than if I try to sign with my finger or with a, a stylus on a screen. Um, there's a difference that I'm not even sure I completely understood when I started looking into this more, but there's a difference between a digital notarization and a remote notarization that I think is important to keep in mind digital notarization would be affixing the notary stamp or seal through electronic means. With a remote notarization, what I was contemplating was still an actual physical signature by the notary and the physical stamp and seal by the notary, not an electronic remote notarization. I think that removes some of the concerns too about where are these people coming from that might be trying to access our clients or um, maybe prey on them from afar. In terms of concerns I've heard raised by legal services, and I come from a nonprofit background myself, I became a lawyer to be a nonprofit attorney and did that for the first part of my career. I absolutely appreciate those concerns. Again, I feel like um, most people would have access to an internet connection, whether it's on a borrowed or shared device of some kind. Um, or whether they have a smartphone themselves. But I think it's possible to uh, account for that because it's not necessary, again, to pay for any special software or download any apps or have anything more than an internet browser, which most people can access at this point. Um, I heard some concerns very recently, maybe it was last night, that maybe all of our insurance premiums are going to go up um, due to concerns around cybersecurity. I know that I've been paying attention to that and asking my insurance agent about cybersecurity for several years now. I don't feel like this is um, a heightened concern that way if we follow certain procedural safeguards to try to reduce and minimize those risks. Um, so I had been paying attention for the past couple of years to the Model Uniform Electronic Wills Act that's put out by INCUSEL, as we always called it, my old job. Um, this model act basically was taking a look at what 
other states were starting to do around the country with all these disparate rules around what could be electronic signatures or just remote notarization or allowing remote witnessing and notarization but hand signatures. It, there's been a mashup of all the different things that the different states have been doing. And so the purpose of coming up with this model act was to try to blend the old safeguards that we have in place and, and kind of come up with something that would be more uniform across the states and reduce, reduce the risks of um, not having something that was created in one state be recognized or enforced in another. We've had, um, my husband is a business attorney and we keep talking about how this has been commonplace in the space of commercial transactions for years. So what we're really talking about is taking existing technology, existing concepts, taking those old safeguards, making sure that we're looking out for the best interests of our clients and applying them to this practice area or these practice areas where they've not yet been applied to the same degree. Um, I was talking with um, some very, very, very bright, um, tech-savvy, um, science and math brain-oriented lawyer friends of mine and asking them to explain to me like I'm totally stupid, what is blockchain and how does that apply to e-signatures? And the most basic answer that I got was that they use what's called um, a public key infrastructure. These technologies like DocuSign and all the other versions of that. And um, in their opinion, the specific technology that they're using locks down the electronic signatures so much that they're actually more secure than a hand signature. Um, we're not using blockchain in those types of e-signature programs yet. It's much more complex. It's not as user-friendly so far, but it's probably coming in the near future. So it's something we can just pay attention to. But essentially, the concept behind these existing electronic signature programs that we already use and practice all the time, I know I use them for electronic engagement agreements and other communications routinely, um, they're already secured. When you complete the process of signing and you get the final signed, electronically signed version of the document, it's date stamped. It has the IP addresses. It has the email addresses. It shows exactly what time you sent it for signature, what time it was open, what time it was reviewed, what time it was signed, when it was sent back. So there's that whole trail that we don't even have that on a, on a hand signed paper copy of a document. Um, the process, frankly, is over my head technologically, but in terms of the various types of e-signature software that are out there, um, one of my colleagues mentioned Right Signature, which I know is the only one the IRS will currently accept. I'm not sure exactly why that is. Um, then there's DocuSign, with which most of us are familiar, I would think. Um, Adobe Pro has electronic signature capabilities and all these others that are out there. Um, they all kind of work the same way and some of them are more or less user-friendly or uh, visually appealing, but they all pretty much do the same thing. Um, we have this... Um, we have this federal law, again, in the space of commercial transactions that allows for electronic signatures, but it specifically accepts um, and makes it not applicable to estate planning. So at the bottom of this slide, you can see what it looks like. I took some uh, screenshots to show an example. 
what it looks like when the client is being directed to click on the specific signature line to sign, what it looks like after she signs and selects a font that looks most like her signature. And then after the signature is placed, there's one more step that's required, which is to review and confirm that you understand and agree to and want to actually sign the document. Once that's done, that paper trail, um, so to speak, is the audit trail, and that shows the whole history of the document, as I said. Um, I thought it was interesting that just uh, yesterday, I saw, as I'm sure you all did too, that the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court issued an order saying that judges and clerks will be able to use electronic signatures rather than wet or original hand signatures under these extraordinary circumstances. Um, and they might also use the slash S electronic signature version as well. Um, so all of the things that we're talking about possibly doing, the courts are doing effective today. Um, in terms of the e-notary software services that are out there, I know that in some states, um, I think Virginia and Nevada, uh, I'm not entirely familiar with it. This is a kind of routine practice at this point. They've been doing it for years and there are these notary services that can um, kind of reach into the state and provide those services for us. That's not what I contemplated in the process that I created with my team for our clients. I would rather have it be the old fashioned um, actual notary hand signing, stamping and sealing rather than outsourcing that piece of the process. And then there is proposed um, federal legislation in this space as well introduced on March 19th to try to streamline this. I think that it's obvious that all of the states are taking these different tactics through different means, governor's orders, um, Supreme Judicial Court orders, legislative action. And so it's probably something that needs to happen both short-term and long-term to streamline this and make it more um, uniform in terms of the expectations and application of how we actually do this throughout all of the states in this country. So um, 22 states have had some form of remote online notarization law in place. Massachusetts is not there yet, but that's exactly what we're talking about. And the federal law as proposed would be the bare minimum required um, to safeguard the interests of the public, but then of course the states could have more stringent requirements, hopefully not absurd requirements. Um, the benefit of allowing this remote online notarization, the um, law contemplates military personnel, U.S. military personnel serving all around the world right now and helping them to be able to sign their documents and notarize them remotely. But also, um, you think about under the current circumstances, sick clients, clients who are in hospitals, in nursing homes, in hospice homes, or who just are, have um, no ability to leave their homes right now due to compromised immune systems. These might be young people that are not in a place to be leaving their homes at this point in time as well. So there's broad application in terms of who this could help. Um, the law that is proposed, of course, specifically accepts testamentary um, wills and trusts, but that doesn't seem to accept uh, healthcare proxies, for example, HIPAA authorizations, powers of attorney, and so forth. Um, bonus benefits of using technology this way. 
we are seeing, I know I've been watching um, the canals in Venice start to have dolphins in them and clear up and we're seeing pollution clear up and we're seeing satellite images with less carbon dioxide in the air over the country or parts of this country and other countries. It's, um, I guess, a silver lining in the midst of a bad situation. But if we were to um, enact these types of remote signings, witnessing notarization procedures, we might see some additional benefits in that respect as well. Um, reducing the time and the expense and the hassle of having to drive to go see the lawyer just for purposes of signing the documents, um, reducing the amount of paper we have to print and um, kind of establishing more sustainable long-term practices. So we have, again, the emergency situation that we need to address, but then as we move forward and we come out on the other side of this, it'll be really interesting to see what we learn from this process and whether we can take the good that comes out of this and apply it prospectively as well. So um, as things might turn out to be, um, under the current proposed legislation, it seems to me personally, and I think that um, I may be somewhat in the minority on this, that there are some unnecessary burdens and obstacles to the, the process that's contemplated. And again, I recognize that the um, real estate bar has some different concerns. Um, in terms of estate planning in particular, that's where my head is again, we're talking about having all of the witnesses be in remote places the same way as we were talking about before. But in this case, it seems like we would have to physically print on paper, put into physical envelopes, and then either go to the post office or put in our mailbox um, for the letter carrier to pick up and then deliver or courier um, the physical package to the client who's going to sign or clients and both of the witnesses. I don't usually have my witnesses review my client's legal documents, um, but it seems like there's concern that the witnesses should be able to see the document to know that that's actually what the client is signing. I have concerns about the privacy implications of that, and I know some of my colleagues do as well. Practically speaking, I understand wanting to have a physical signature, but I feel like that's exactly what we're trying to avoid. As I said, I'm sick. I haven't been feeling well. I'm not good. I'm on the other side of it. I'm relatively young. had a birthday last week. Um, but I'm relatively young and healthy, and I know that I'm going to be okay. But I don't feel like it would be responsible of me to be the one printing and assembling and putting it into an envelope. And I certainly should not be walking into a post office or handing to a courier these documents to take to an elderly or an, or an infirm client at this point in time. And because we all closed up shops so fast and went home to our home offices, I was fortunate that I already had a pretty well um, established home office with a scanner and a printer because I had worked out of a home office for eight years before I moved into outside office spaces. But my employees don't necessarily have those capabilities in their home offices. And so even if I said I shouldn't be the one doing this, it doesn't mean that they could. So there's a real practical burden of doing it that way. Um, then once everything is witnessed and signed, um, then we have to get it back. And I'm aware I just touched my face too. I'm so hyper aware of that now. Um, then we have to get everything back to the notary. So the way that this current 
uh, draft legislation is has been introduced. There's no bill number. And again, unless Jen pops up with um, something she's seeing that I'm not yet. Nothing it, so far. Thank you. Um, so we're still eagerly awaiting an update on this, but there's no bill number. The version that's currently available on the um, website is not the most recent version of the bill, but what it contemplates is, again, hand signatures or wet signatures by all of the parties involved, so all four or five of the people signing with physical copies of the paper, separate signature pages, and transmitting everything eventually to the notary to notarize. So um, I tried to summarize the key points um, based on the last version of it that I saw. Number one, there's what I call a self-destruct button in it. Um, the different states that have addressed this have put different duration self-destruct buttons in their versions. Massachusetts, the last version I saw, had, is, had this bill um, or this proposed legislation expiring three days after Governor Baker lifts the state of emergency. So um, I've seen other states that said 60 days, 90 days, um, and different periods of time. The next thing is that it is only a Massachusetts notary public or a paralegal who is under the direct supervision of the attorney who is able to remotely notarize this way. Paralegal's not defined, so it doesn't seem to matter whether the person has an actual paralegal certification or is a legal secretary, if that person is under the direct supervision of a Massachusetts um, attorney and notary public, then it's possible for somebody else to do it. In the process Danielle, of, yes. is just to speak to that, <clears throat> my, my understanding is that it is intentionally left open so that firms can take the action of designating somebody as a paralegal um, if they're going to be fulfilling this role. So people, that's more of a practical tip. Yes, thank you. That's exactly right. And I think that's a good thing, as long as, again, we have the safeguard that it's the Massachusetts attorney who is ultimately responsible for overseeing this process. Um, everybody has to be physically present in Massachusetts. There are some other states that have done it differently. Um, I can't keep straight in my head which one's which. I have them in the later slides. But some of the states are not requiring that everybody be physically present in Massachusetts at the time of the notarization. Another requirement that's in the proposed legislation is that the attorney or the notary keep, a, the, if somebody else notarizes it, the attorney must keep a copy of the photo identification for the signer for 10 years together with that client file. Um, that's something that we don't typically do, and I'm not sure I completely understand why that's necessary, but I also don't have any objection to doing it. Um, the other piece that's in here is that there is an affirmative duty for the attorney to swear an affidavit, to draft up and swear an affidavit as to who is present where and when. And um, so if we can't see who's necessarily with our client on the other side of their device or in another room that we're not seeing, then we're supposed to ask the client who's there if they're capable of turning their phone around or a laptop around and, and kind of giving us a tour, um, which feels a little invasive. I know I don't want anybody touring my house right now, um, but we're supposed to at least have them affirm to us who is physically present in the relationship of all of the different people that are present. If we are talking, there's kind of, um, the, the law wasn't bifurcated, which may be part of why it's a little bit difficult to think it through at the same time. There are different 
um, concerns again between the real estate bar and the estate planning bar and perhaps having two separate sections of the one piece of legislation or two totally different pieces of legislation with commonalities but putting them in different places maybe that would have been a good way to go but we're not there right now so what we have are two different ways of dealing with um, recording and storage requirements if the document that's being signed, witnessed, notarized is something that affects title to real property, it's necessary to take an uh, audio video recording of the process and to store that and also to have two separate conferences. So the first video conference is when the signer is signing the document and the second is when the notary is hand signing the document. If it's estate planning documents, it's not necessary to have two separate video conferences. It is possible to do the entire process in one. Um, then, uh, right, and then the hard copy physical counterpart. So again, after the client would sign or clients would sign the documents, he or she would have to put them into an envelope. So we um, attorneys would have to provide a return envelope and postage um, and means for the client to return that to us as quickly as possible. Um, so again, we have the added concern about the client. If the client is sick, then, or if the client isn't sick, just creating another opportunity or another um, it, moment where the client would have to be interacting with a courier, with a post office or someone to be able to return those documents. And also for each of the witnesses to do the same thing. So each signer would sign on a separate piece of paper. All of these multiple counterparts would be returned by mail to the notary, and then they would all be physically assembled into one whole document. Yeah, Danielle, yes. I think that um, on the last slide, the last point, <laughs> I, I don't think that it's actually required by the law, um, under my reading of it, it's being recommended as a best practice, but I think that's, a, that's an important, or I shouldn't say the law, by the bill, um, I think that's an important distinction. Thank you, Jen. You're absolutely right. So what I'm talking about and what Jen is talking about as well, um, there is a draft document that's been circulated recommending best practices and answering some of what would be frequently asked questions with regard to how this process should work. And so um, that's exactly right. I, I may be blending here the two things. My concern is, um, as a small solo lawyer out in the suburbs, um, if these are the best practices, this is what's required, this is putting um, a heavy burden on a smaller practice like mine than it would be on a big firm. For example, I don't already have established courier relationships and contracts to be able to do that quickly. Um, and so my concern is that if that's what's recommended as best practice and I do it differently, does that weaken my case then when I say that, yes, I complied with the letter of the law as best as possible, if that hasn't been standard practice for the other attorneys doing this? Um, is that what this says? Yes, there, so there are, there's guidance and best practices that have been circulating as well, and that's exactly what we're just talking about here. 
and there's a, a sample affidavit for the attorney to complete and um, sample notarial language about who's where, when, what county. Um, in my case, I know that my witnesses and I are in two separate counties, and then um, my client that we were working through this with last week was in yet a third county. So I have no objection to that, and in fact, I think that makes a whole lot of sense to be really clear about where everybody was. Um, we talked about this as well. Another requirement um, or suggested best practice rather is that there be nobody physically present with the signer or signers who is an heir, beneficiary, or devisee. So I know that Jennifer and I um, don't see eye to eye on this um, and there seems to be a split of opinion about this from my colleagues that I've talked with about it. In my opinion, if I have already established um, capacity and intent, and I'm not concerned about fraud or undue influence, if there's nothing funny about the intended distribution, um, say from a client to adult children, then I would like the adult children to be fully apprised of what that plan is, how it works, what these documents mean. Most often, they're the ones who are going to be called to um, serve in that fiduciary capacity and use these actual legal documents or present these documents. So if, in my opinion, I would like it if they understood what they are and how they're working. Again, provided that I have absolutely no concern about what the intent is. So that's something that we can have a broader conversation about. It's not a deal breaker for me, certainly, but it does change what I would typically do in my practice. Um, so uh, New York has come up with an executive order and they put out this handy dandy visual. Um, again, they require a wet signature as well. Um, and then I thought it was kind of funny um, in the context of everything that we're talking about that they're requiring the document be emailed or faxed back. And I'm just wondering um, who actually has a fax machine. What client of mine is going to have a fax machine sitting around to fax me a document? And, and if she does or he does, it's coming through to my email anyway. So um, I just thought that was kind of funny that we're still talking in outdated technology. Um, this is Florida's approach. Florida has, I believe, the Supreme Court of Florida issued an order um, allowing for the remote notarization. And I noted here that the witnesses do not need to be in Florida also the way that under the Massachusetts proposed legislation they do. And I would have assumed that they would in my process that I was working on as well. Um, New Jersey has taken a legislative approach to this. As I understand, as of yesterday, it was um, with the New Jersey State Senate trying to reconcile what had been originally uh, introduced and passed through their assembly. And it says it's supposed to take effect 90 days after passage. So again, I haven't gone really deep into the laws of these other states or these other orders, but it jumped out at me that it said it was going to take 90 days. So I'm not sure whether they somehow make that effective sooner, but 90 days seems like an awfully long time to wait given what's going on in New Jersey and New York and here in Massachusetts and everywhere else. Um, and then because I'm surrounded by children, I have four daughters that range in age from six to 15. Um, I, we watch them all the time. The toddlers have apps on their smartphones or our smartphones that they use to play little games and their fingers are so fast and, and they know what they're doing and they know how to log on to their own accounts through their schools to be able to practice monkey math or whatever they're doing. Um, 
my six-year-old daughter has been having virtual playdates where we prop up a phone or an iPad and her friend's parents do, and then they're showing each other toys and talking to each other that way. Um, we're meeting for virtual coffee dates to keep our sanity while we're trying to work from home and homeschool our children. Um, I know that uh, my oldest has not yet had her license, but we've been talking with uh, clients and one of my employees was saying how it's possible for teenagers nowadays when they go to get their license to print their name. They don't even have to sign anymore. And so we're observing how much time these kids spend on computer science and typing classes in school that they're sort of losing the ability to even sign their name. And whether we like that or not want them to print in cursive or not, um, the fact of the matter is that things are changing and they're being accepted in these different spaces around us. And then um, I myself am not a millennial, but I know that everybody kind of picks on millennials and talks about how young they are, but I think it's important to recognize that millennials who have absolutely grown up with technology being the norm are in their 20s and 30s. They have jobs, they have kids, and they absolutely want to be able to do things electronically this way. And um, Gen Xers are celebrating 50th birthday parties and we're hanging out on Facebook, checking in and sharing pictures and using Facebook status updates as a way to kind of keep baby records um, and track things. Um, and then, of course, you know, the older generations, the boomers, they're, they're on video chats all the time. Um, they text, they make reservations online, they shop online. And now we see that courts are already receiving electronic wills and electronically signed documents. Um, how they're processing them might be different, but this isn't something that might come. It's something that's already here. And so my suggestion is that we take the good fix the bad and start to get on board with adopting some of this technology because this is the way things are moving. I think it's not a matter of if this happens, if we start to do these things long term, not just in these emergency situations, but when, when are we going to do it? And so, yes, I want to get things done right now as fast as possible, but while we're thinking through it, let's also keep at least a portion of our brain um, paying attention to what's coming after this. How do we come out stronger and better on the other side of this? I think that's all I've got. So we can take questions now. Do you want to stop sharing? Yes. Excellent. We do have some questions. Um, so I had answered a few during it. Um, first, we had a question asking if they heard correctly that the MBA has named Zoom as a secure software program. Um, and I think that actually, this is what I answered, I think that you were referring to Clio Grow. Is that correct? Uh, Clio, um, Clio Manage, as they call it now, is the software that the Mass Bar Association recommends. Um, and there is a discount on services for using that software if you're a member of the Bar Association. Mm -hmm. Clio Grow, which I also use in my practice, um, formerly called Lexicata, was recently acquired by Clio, and that's mm -hmm. a little bit different technology, but it has the electronic signing functionality built into it, and the underlying eSign platform that it uses is HelloSign, which I think previously did not have the same um, signature verification capabilities, but I think does now, but I, I'm actually looking into that just to make sure I'm clear on that. Excellent. 
we had a question whether the process that you were laying out was consistent with the legislation. I let them know that you were going to be talking about the legislation um, and a request for your PowerPoint. So I let them know that you are going to be making those available through the BBA. There was one question I didn't answer because I thought it was better for a discussion. Um, and the question is, we anticipate a lot of calls from elderly, disabled, and unsophisticated clients asking about healthcare proxies, we are legal aid, and we may have clients who don't have internet capabilities. Has the drive-by or front porch signing methods been working? Are these recommended for people without internet access? Um, and to add my two cents in, first, I, I think that, I think people need to step back and think this is something you can do on your phone, that um, there is that, that possibility. Um, and I think that this is assuming that the legislation discussed um, does pass. And I did just double check again, and there's not, no update yet on the, um, on the legislation. But I think that it really is the safest for you and for your clients. And no, it won't always work, but um, I would really urge you to think carefully about um, any in-person signings. I do think that the drive-by is probably the best. Um, it, it creates a little bit more of a physical barrier. But what are your thoughts, Danielle? No, I would agree. And as I said, you know, I'm, I'm not particularly germaphobic, especially for kids later. Um, I don't get terribly worked up. I was paying attention to what was happening in other countries and being mindful of the fact that a couple of my employees have elderly um, parents who were not well. Um, unfortunately, one of them passed away on Monday of this week. And so my heart is broken as I'm thinking, should we have shut down sooner? Um, there were underlying conditions. Uh, he was elderly, but maybe we should have stopped this sooner. Maybe we should have really taken aggressive measures to go virtual faster. We had the ability to do it. Um, I was trying not to be hyperbolic and trying not to get too worked up about it. And now I've spent the past week and a half coughing um, one night when I was having trouble breathing. Um, no tests, can't be sure. I've heard the symptoms from so many other people, but I think as lawyers that, especially with an office that's open to the general public and interacting with everybody that comes in and out of our offices, who knows where this stuff comes from. So to the extent that you haven't already really taken this to heart, I would implore you to please really, as Jen coughs, mm -hmm. um, and we say, is this allergies? <laughs> Am I but, but take it to heart. This is, this is not a regular cold. This is not the seasonal flu. This really is quite serious. And um, the, the need for clients to sign their documents is absolutely there. But we have other ways that we can do this that's more protective of ourselves, the people that we love around us, and of all of our clients and the public. Yeah, absolutely. Are there any other questions? Um, we don't have any more in the queue, but we're happy to answer more if people want to type. While you're typing, um, I do want to let you know that if you are, as I said, there is no update as of this moment on, um, on the legislation, but if you would like to make your voice heard, um, you can follow up with your legislators, both state um, house and state senate, so not the state house, but your state house of representatives um, member and your state senator to let them know that you are supporting the notary bill, let them know your thoughts on it, um, and there is not, as Danielle referenced, there is no number yet, but they are just referring to it as the notary bill. 
and you could share your specific personal um, your specific personal thoughts and a story. Uh, and we just got a, a more of a comment. Danielle, uh, an anonymous attendee says, feel better. I hope you get over this soon. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, so yeah, uh, any other questions before we wrap up today? Well, I personally would like to thank Danielle. She has been working tirelessly on this since this uh, started to become clear how, uh, how serious this was. And um, there is a, a wide-ranging group of attorneys, Danielle is a part of it, um, who have been putting together their thoughts and from which the, uh, the legislation came, estate planning attorneys, probate attorneys, probate litigation attorneys, real estate attorneys. Um, and so, you know, it is, it's been moving forward and a lot of people had a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, input into it. So thank you to all of them. And, and thank you to you for staying on top of this with me and helping me with all of this. Um, I, I want to just be really clear. I'm not opposed to the legislation that's out there. I think there are tweaks that we could make to it to make it better. But I understand that there are also concerns um, from different members of different bars that, that make it that way. So we do need something. We need it urgently. We don't need it in 90 days. We don't need it next week. We need it yesterday. So um, if everybody who's out there listening would please really read through it, pay attention to it, and then make your voice heard, I think that the sooner the better that our legislators understand this is really extremely urgent. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you.